It is not uncommon now to see one seemingly in the best of health today and hear of him dead a few days later. The Linlithgowshire Gazette, 1st of November, 1918. It didn't come from Spain. It didn't start in the slums of Madrid or spread from some cafe owner with a cough in Catalonia. It didn't begin as one thing in Malaga and become another by the time it reached Seville. They only called it Spanish flu because newspapers in the Iberian Peninsula were the only ones talking about the spread of a new kind of virus, sweeping through the plains which the rain in Spain might fall mainly on, although I doubt anyone's really done the research. It is 1918 and the world is still at war. The grind and repetition, the attrition of the trenches on the Western Front has been going on for almost four years. And although there are signs that the German lines might finally break, morale is at an all-time low. The closer the war comes to its end, the more miserable its combatants become. If you've sat in a hole having people sitting in another hole try to riddle your body with shreds of metal for literally years, you'd be pretty hacked off with the whole thing too. At home, people were raging. Whether you were British, French, German, Austrian, Italian, Hungarian, let's not list everybody. Things were looking pretty bleak all round. And all the while the papers told you stories in tiny columns at the bottom of the page about a killer virus affecting the Spanish main. You might have been struggling to put a meal on the table, but at least there wasn't a flu outbreak to contend with. But it was there. It was creeping up the back stairs, down country lanes, flying through the spatter of an uncovered mouth on Buchanan Street, a spit on the pavement of Princess Street, a sneeze on Perth Road, a cough on the High Street. They didn't want people to know, why would they? People were miserable enough, and a bad flu season was nothing to get het up about. Why worry people unnecessarily? From Be Quiet Media, this is Scotland, a podcast about history and where we made it. I'm Michael Park. Wave 1 it is March 1918. Mud squelches and clags and it gets in your boots and seeps through your putties. They're the cloth wrappings that are supposed to provide protection and support up your leg, but in reality it just gives them moisture somewhere else to congregate. You're not the first to get the illness. The doctors call it la grippe and it's been spreading like wildfire. If a wildfire would actually take in this sodden cesspit, it's not that bad really. You get a cough, a sore throat, a bit of a headache, and most importantly you get a couple of days rotated off the front. It would be a godsend if it didn't subside inside three days. Better to be laid up in a hospital in a tap than getting a bit of shrapnel in the neck south of Peron while the Germans burst through the lines with their big spring offensive. It didn't seem worth it anymore. People came back from the hospital at a tap and then they'd cough and then they'd splutter, and then someone sitting next to them enjoying a long draw on a cigarette that they didn't know yet would kill them, if a bullet didn't get them first, and they would get a cough, and then they would splutter, and they'd feel weak and feverish and have a couple of days behind the lines. It spread quickly and left almost as quickly. The doctors called it the three-day fever. Could have been worse, but it was taking an awful lot of people off the front lines. There wasn't any real explanation for it, but at least people weren't dying of dysentery, because that was messier. They could go back to the front line, 
wherever it was at that point. It was moving faster than they could keep up with as the Germans mounted their last great offensive of the Great War. We really hope you like the show and that you're excited about We Scotland, which starts in the main feed in just a couple of weeks. Um, if you want to get it early, or you just want to help us out with some of the costs that go into making a podcast like Scotland, then go and look for us on Patreon. We want to make Scotland as accessible to everyone as possible, and support from our amazing listeners like you helps us to do that. Um, if you'd like to support us, head over to patreon.com forward slash Scotland history podcast and if you're not able to support us financially then totally get that don't worry about it but we'd love it if you could leave us a rating and a review on your podcast app of choice that really helps us out as well wave two it is september 1918 when you sneeze more than 500 million virus particles are spread to those nearby and the flu does what it does It starts off as one thing and then it mutates. It's the virus's prerogative to stay alive, just like it's yours. If you caught the flu during the first wave of the virus, then guess what? You'd probably be fine. But this isn't the same virus that ripped through the trenches a couple of months ago. This virus has grown arms and legs, and it's carrying a machine gun. As troops step off ships returning home to Scotland after their latest harrowing tour in the muck and mire of the Western Front, the virus walked off with them. H1N1, you might know it as swine flu, walked off troop ships on the Clyde and straight into the heart of the nation. As troops took their chance to go home, some for the last time before the end of the war, the virus followed them on the railways to their homes all across the country. Some went to Aberdeen, some to Kilmarnock, to Ayr, to Inverness, Dundee, Kirkcaldy, Hamilton. Suddenly, no one in Scotland was safe from a virus that few people knew anything about. There wasn't any doubt that people were starting to get sick at alarming rates. There wasn't any doubt that many people in local communities were starting to die of whatever it was that was gripping them. But the papers continued to refer to a flu pandemic affecting the European mainland. The first wave had done what flu normally does, rampantly infected people and killed a selection of the weakest people in society. The kids, the elderly, the usual suspects. The second wave's mutation hit the motherload of flu mutations. It went for healthy adults between 20 and 40 years old. If flu strain mutations were operating in a corporate structure, This one would be getting a pay rise, a promotion, and a corner office overlooking the mucus lake in the middle of Central Park. The flu didn't just knock you down and force you to cough yourself to bits. It triggered an intense response from the human immune system, which triggered a rapid release of immune cells and inflammatory molecules. It's called a cytokine storm, and in simple terms, it overloaded the healthy immune systems of young adults. That could cause any of the following symptoms. Often all of them. Fever, fatigue, loss of appetite, muscle and joint pain, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, rashes, fast breathing, rapid heartbeat, low blood pressure, seizures, headache, confusion, delirium, hallucinations, tremor, loss of coordination. It also caused something called heliotrope cyanosis, which due to a lack of oxygen in the blood caused patients' extremities, 
their nose, their lips, their ears, their fingertips, their toes, to become discoloured, turning a lavender grey hue, or sometimes even blue. The disease quickly picked up the nickname, the Blue Death. Those who died of the flu often turned black due to the deoxygenated blood in their bodies, but that name was already taken. People in the streets only began to take the seriousness of the problem to heart when schools and other public buildings began to close in fear of the outbreak. Doctors didn't know what to do, mainly because they were liable to get sick for themselves whenever they went near patients. The Perthshire advertiser said that the flu usually begins with a sharp attack, an out-and-out seizure, and even doctors have had to stop shorten their rounds of visitation and go to bed. The most effective remedies are said to be quinine and toddy. In reality, quinine and toddy would do about the square root of hee-haw to stop the flu once it got its hooks into you. The entire medical profession was at a loss, since there was no vaccination and no penicillin. Not yet, anyway. Hope nobody coughs near you, otherwise it might be time to lie down and die didn't seem like very reassuring advice. The very considerable reduction of sugar and fat in the national diet has weakened the power of resistance of the individual. The whisky drinker says the seat of the trouble is the scarcity of his favourite spirit. Across the border, some allege that the poor and thin quality of the beer is at the bottom of it. The smoker asserts that a perpetual cloud of tobacco smoke ensures immunity from infection. And the sniff taker has steady belief that no microbe can exist where the mall is in constant request. One set of opinions is perhaps just as reliable as another. What we are up against is that the disease exists and is spreading. The opinions were mostly rubbish. What couldn't be denied was that in Glasgow alone there were 300 deaths from the flu every week. The assistant medical officer for Glasgow, Dr A. McLean, knew that the potential of those infected still struggling to go about their daily lives was one of the greatest dangers. The best preventative as far as the spreading of the diseases is to go to bed. While the heroic attitude seems most desirable, it in fact means trouble for others. Relief may be found in the discriminate use of the following. Equal parts of pine oil, lavender oil, and eucalyptus oil, to which a little menthol may be added. It is 1918, and there is nothing that you can do to protect yourself, short of hide yourself away and hope that it goes. The doctors can't cope. The undertakers can't cope. There are more bodies than coffins and by the end of 1918, at least a quarter of the total deaths in the entire country, possibly as many as half, are attributed to flu. Scotland is devastated by the end of a war that has taken away a significant portion of its young men, and now an unstoppable killer, a murderer, is here to take the rest. Wave 3 it is February 1919. There was a point where things seemed to be returning to normal, whatever normal was, and the death rate was slowing down. The Spanish flu is a strain of H1N1 virus, an early evolution of the one that caused the swine flu outbreak in 2009. A smart virus knows that the longer it can keep its host alive, the longer it has to spread to other hosts and propagate and live. Viruses learn. Viruses evolve. Thankfully, this means that they generally become less deadly as they mutate. But the Spanish flu, as viruses go, 
wasn't very smart at all. By killing people within a couple of days of infection, it was more difficult for the virus to spread to others. That being said, the disease still managed to infect a third of the world's population and kill more than 50 million people worldwide before it dropped off the radar in the summer of 1919. I suppose what I'm saying is, cover your mouth when you sneeze. You've been listening to Scotland. It was written and produced by me, Michael Park, and is a production of Be Quiet Media. Additional voices in this episode were provided by Jamie Mowat, Chris Moriarty, and Mitch Bain. Mitch is currently on a well-deserved holiday, so music for this episode is provided by Amulets and Loopop. And of course, the bubbly snake ad music is by Mitch Bain. Scotland is supported by Chris Lingwood and listeners like you on Patreon. Get involved and chuck us a couple of bucks at patreon.com forward slash Scotland History Podcast. You can find out more about the show on our website, thisisscotland.co, and on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by searching Scotland, Scottish History Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.